Now that's what we have been doing. And we've been, we've been studying the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, in the course of what we're going to do, we're going to look at uh, issues that are absolutely crucial for you as a child of God, things that you need to know first, things that you need to understand how they really uh, apply and how they lay out in your life. And then, you know, we'll, we'll disperse that with uh, looking at uh, character studies in the Bible, what kind of people in the Bible, how they built the relationship, and uh, all of that is in the Word of God to show you some incredible things. But we uh, started a couple of weeks ago, and I talked to you about Job chapter 26. And I told you when we started the study that, you know, the questions in the Bible are an issue, have always been an issue for me, because I, as I studied the Bible years ago, I, I knew that the Bible was God's Word. I knew it wasn't any accident that, that uh, it's, it's written the way that it's written. Uh, there's no, it wasn't an idea where, you know, man just put it together and, you know, and uh, it, it contains the Word of God, but it's written by man. No, no, no. It is the absolute perfect Word of God. When you have a Bible, a King James 1611 authorized version, you have the absolute perfectly inspired Word of God. <clears throat> you have a book <clears throat> that has everything in it that God wants you to have. And uh, that's why we sing the song, you know, get a new look from the old book, because that book's been changing people's perspective on life for a long time. So when you come to the Bible, you've got to realize that everything is in there for a reason and for a purpose. And the questions in there are just as important. Because we see that uh, if God asks some questions, somebody's going to have to come up with the answers. And I told you how that in the course of, when I, when I began to see this, this has been, you know, 20 years ago. I began to go through the Bible and look at all the questions in the Bible, and I began to put them into categories. And I came to this conclusion. I believe with the great white throne judgment that every unsaved man is going to stand there before God and have to give an account. And I believe he's going to give an account <clears throat> by God asking him questions that he can't answer. And I believe that an unsaved man has or a woman has spent all of their lives trying to get out from under the authority of the Word of God. They have spent all of their lives trying to build their lives and as you know, Frank Sinatra is saying, do it my way. And, and put together the whole concept that life is what they want it to be. Now, our whole society is geared that way, and of course the world is headed that way. And I believe that in the Bible there's a set of questions for every man, for every woman, no matter what course you took in life. That an unsaved man will stand there, and you've got to remember now, at the great white throat judgment, you are going to be put on trial to declare your righteousness against God's righteousness. You're going to have to show God why you should go to heaven without the blood of Christ. <laughs> that sounds really stupid to say, but that's what it's going to be. You're going to have to try to convince God why God should allow you to go to heaven without the death of His Son being pardoned <clears throat> to your sins. Impossible task. But God is going to ask that man, that woman, some questions, and they're going to have to come up with some answers. Now, luckily, because we're saved here, and I look around, I see most of us, I know probably we all are saved, all of us here today are saved. We know that uh, we, there's been a time in our life we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that that judgment isn't affecting us. We don't ever have to worry about the great white throne judgment from the aspect of going there and being there and being judged. But as I told you when we started our study, there's seven judgments in the Bible. One of those judgments, or three of those judgments, have to do with you as a Christian. We talked about how that, that God judged you as a sinner on Calvary's cross when you got saved. Hence, no white white throne judgment for you. It's taken care of. While you're on this earth, God judges you as a son. 
And we talked about the chastising hand of God, Hebrews chapter 5 and other places. And then we talked about how that God is going to judge us as a servant. That is the judgment seat of Christ. There's coming a day when you and I as believers will have to stand before God and we'll have to answer some questions. God's going to ask us some questions along the lines of our service. And as I've said before, Job chapter 26, as we began to look at this, I told you the only people I know that can answer these questions are born-again Christians in the church age. And I believe with all of my heart that someday these are the questions that God is going to ask us. Now, we looked at some of them already. And he says, uh, but Job answered and said, how hast thou helped him that is without power? We looked at that uh, as, as God asking the question, what have you done for unsaved people? Unsaved people uh, are powerless. They don't have any, any way of overcoming anything in their life. They are powerless. So we asked the first question, how hast thou helped him that is without power? Then he asked, how savest thou the arm that hath no strength? We talked about that being a, a, a young Christian, somebody who's saved. Notice it's an arm, they're part of the body. And there's many, many references in the Bible to Christ being God's right hand and, and all of those things, and how God teaches your hands to war and makes your arms strong, that a bow of, bow of steel is breaking against them. All of that in the Bible is symbolic and deals with the fact that this is a, somebody who is part of Christ's body. But he has, no, he has no strength. He's a young Christian. And, of course, we talked about the fact that once you get saved, you get power, but as you grow in the Lord, you translate that power into strength. And strength is power uh, guided in the right direction. Then the third question is, how hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? We talked about counsel last week. We talked about what it means to counsel somebody with the Word of God. How do you deal with people? Uh, and what does it mean in the Bible definition of being a counselor? And as we saw last week, every born-again Christian ought to be a Christian counselor. Not in the sense of, uh, you know, <clears throat> with a Ph.D. and a little frame on your wall talking about the fact that you, uh, you do psychoanalysis, you know, and therapy, psychotherapy, and, you know, all of that stuff. I learned a long time ago that if you're going to be a Christian, you don't ever get a degree in psychology, don't get one in psychology, don't get one in psychiatry, don't get one in psychotherapy. Get one in psychoceramics. That's the one you want as a Christian. Psychoceramics. Because you're going to deal with a lot of cracked pots in Christianity, and that's what you've got to have, a degree in psychoceramics. Think about it for a while. It'll hit you about 3 o'clock this afternoon. You'll be calling me on the phone wanting to know where I got that, but I'm not going to tell you. But anyway, now we're going to look at the rest of them today. He says this, How hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? To whom hast thou uttered words, and whose spirit came from thee? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus we ask you, Father, today to give us wisdom and insight into all the things that we have in your word to look at. Help us, Father, to uh, really understand how, to, how that someday we're going to stand before God and, and to put all this together that we may have the answers, Father, uh, to this day. Thank you, Father, for all that you do for us now. We pray, Father, you'll bless us, bless those ones that are uh, home ill today. And, Father, bless those ones that just didn't want to come today and help them, Father, to see uh, in their own lives, Lord, what they need to do. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for the sake we ask it. Amen. Now, the next question I want to talk about here is, is, is he says, How hast thou plentifully uh, declared the thing as it is? And I guess if there's anything that I have a pet peeve with in my, in my, in my life as far as a Christian and a preacher and all those things, I, I guess it's this. I, I just, nothing, I'm a very laid-back guy. I mean, I mean, 
you back me into a corner, yes, I'll bite you. But, you know, the bottom line is I'm very easy to get along with, and I don't, I, I, I just take life, you know, I see things, you know, people say things about me to me and all, I just take it in the stride. You know, it's one of those things where I understand that's just the way life is. But I tell you one, there's not much in life that infuriates me. But I'll tell you one thing that does infuriate me. The thing that I, and it just gets me going on it, and I could go all day, all night, and take all day tomorrow and the rest of your week, is to talk about people who have the truth and don't preach it. Now that is bothers me more than anything else in this whole wide world. I mean, I guess I understand the length that God went to, to give us the truth. I also understand the length that the devil went to change the truth. When we started this study, I told you the first two questions you find in the Bible, the first question is God asking Adam, uh, Adam, where art thou, when God knew exactly where he was. The second question was Satan asking uh, Adam and Eve, did God really mean what he said? And the idea of truth is the one thing the devil has to get around. Because truth will always stand as truth. And there is no defense against the truth. The truth will always be the truth no matter what it is. So what Satan does is he creates illusions. He creates illusions that things that aren't true are true. He plays on human nature. I was talking to Steve, uh, uh, Brackeen, before I went. Steve had to go to a, 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 a large Baptist church last week, and I won't mention the name. I'm, I'm, I'm past that point in my life. I used to call him out, but I don't do it anymore. But he went to a baby dedication at a large church here, and you know, and he talked about how that uh, it was just a disaster. And I told him, I said, you know what? The last time I heard that guy preach was on television. And I, I, I didn't tell him. I got so mad that when I heard it that I just, it, it does not do for me to listen to that kind of stuff. I mean, but the last time I heard that guy preach, I heard him preach, and it was right around Christmas time, and he was preaching how to know that Christ was born on December 25th, and that is the real birthday. And he went to the absolute extreme. And I thought to myself, hey, you know what? There's people out there that think I'm nuts because I believe that in 1947 aliens landed at Roswell. And they listen to this guy and they think, that's the truth. And I'm telling you, uh, you have the truth. You don't have to go to all that stuff and all that junk out there to try to prove something. The truth will always be the truth. And it's one of those things where the Bible says when we stand before God, He's going to ask the question, how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is. Now that's one thing about me. And you come here to hear me preach and you uh, count yourself a member of this church. You know, we don't have anybody coming down and joining the church. I figure if you want to come, you come. If you don't want to come, you don't come. And uh, I, I'm not into that. I mean, I think that uh, I'm, I just, I, I'm not into a lot of things that are traditionalized. I, I'm into one thing, and that is this book. And I figure you join the book That'll take care of itself. Don't join me. Don't join this church. You know, we don't have an invitation where you come down and join this church, you know, and, and you know, we you know, have a handshake in Lulao, you know, where we all... Bottom line is this. You want to come, come. You don't want to come, don't come. Uh, I'm going to preach the book every week. But that's what I like about me. I like a lot of things about me. But that's one of the main things I like about me. You know what, you know what, it, you know what my greatest characteristic is? Now, I'm telling you the truth. And if you don't know me that well, some of you have been around for a while, you know this is true. But my greatest characteristic is this. You will either love me or you will hate me. There ain't no middle ground. You will love me to death or you will hate me to death. 
and there are people in this town right now who love to hate me. <laughs> but the bottom line is this, that's where we're at. You either love me or you'll hate me. Now, I'm not comparing myself to the Word of God, but you know what the greatest characteristic is about the Word of God? You either love it or you'll hate it. No, I'm not comparing myself to the book. I think I'm that way because of the time that I spent in the book and what the book did for me, not that I'm comparing myself to the Word of God. But I'm telling you this, you'll either love God or you'll hate God. Now, I know in our society, I know, in our society you were given the illusion that you can some way have a halfway relationship with God. Now, I know that's true. I know a lot of people believe that. I know that that is, that is permeating our society in Christianity. I know that. There's a lot of illusion things out there that the devil has put up with bright lights and fanfare and to blind God's people to think. But that, in essence, is not true. It is not true. You, your relationship with God is like the relationship with the Word of God. You either love God, as far as God's concerned, you either love Him or you hate Him. You either love Him or you hate Him. There ain't no halfway where, well, yeah, I... And now, you may look at it that way, but God doesn't look at it that way. Now we're back to last week with the old ant farm story, see? It doesn't matter what you think or what you do. The only thing that really matters is the one who made it all and does it all, what he thinks. And in our minds, we think, how many times? I've, I've had people say this. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm really not in fellowship with God, and I'm really not out of fellowship with God. Either. I'm just kind of somewhere in, 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 in limbo. I'm just somewhere in between. Now, that in-between only exists in your mind. There is, there is no in-between for a child of God. Your job as a Christian, we talked about it when we started the Judgment of Christ. The day you get saved, you lay a foundation, and you build upon that foundation gold, silver, precious stones. It isn't half gold, a little bit of silver. It, it's, it, it's, it's either one, two, three, or it's wood, hay, or stubble. It isn't a halfway thing where, well, I got a little gold, I got a little hay, I got a little stubble. Yeah, you do, but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> your pants look like wood, your hair looks like hay, and you got stubble. I'm picking on him because I love him. Who was that guy you dated? <laughs> what was that guy's name? George Washington? George Washington, yeah. Remember that? Yeah, that's that too. Anyway. But anyway, there's no, there's no halfway ground. It's either everything or it's nothing. Now, I've told you this before, and I'll give it to you again. The key to loving God is your attitude of heart. When I say that you either love Him or you hate Him, I don't mean that you don't do things that are wrong. We all do things that are wrong. You know what the real key is? How do you feel about it when you do something wrong? That's the key. That's the key. I'm not going to stand up here and be such a fool to tell you that you're not going to do something wrong tomorrow. You'll do it wrong today. We all will. But you know what the real issue is? How do you feel about it when it happens? Do you anticipate sin in your life with anguish? I do. I do. Do you anticipate, well, tomorrow, next week, you know, I don't want to go, go here because when I go here, I have to deal with this, and, and that always messes me up a little bit. And I, You see, that's the right attitude. It's just this blandering through time in life where you really don't give a flip what happens or what you do, and the consequences between you and God are irrelevant. That is the problem. 
I, 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 don't ever, I, I don't ever begrudge anybody for sinning. We all sin. I begrudge God's people for sinning and just laughing at it and going on with life. When you transgress God's law, it ought to affect you. I'm not saying, you're, I'm not saying that you're not going to. We are. I'm just saying, how do you feel about it when you do? Because the relationship with God is based on your attitude. Now, you know, I look at David's life, and David has always been a favorite of mine, and I've studied his life, and he's one of the unique guys in the Bible. I mean, if you go through his life and you see all the things that he did wrong, I mean, we think about, you know, Uriah, Hittite, and Bathsheba, and that's where we, we plant most of his, his sin. But you know what? When you go through his life, he did some really dumb things. There was times that he was just flat out <laughs> out of whack, man. But I'm going to tell you one characteristic about David, and I've said this before. You know what? I find that even when David is way out of fellowship with God, he still has an understanding of God's principles that you don't find very often. And I always say it this way. He's, 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 he's closer to God out of fellowship than most of God's people are when they're in fellowship. He's a unique individual. You know why? Because he had an attitude with the Word of God. You know what started? It didn't start when he got to be king. It started way before he was king when he was a little shepherd boy out there all by himself plucking that little harp, singing psalms and songs to God. Now, everybody in your Christian life has that kind of experience. Now, I'm not saying you go wrap yourself in a towel and get your harp and sit out in the backyard, but what I am saying is this. That is, that means that there is a time in your life when you're just like that. It's you and God, and the time is tender. I can't think of anything more tender than you just being out someplace where it's just you and God, and the total time you sing, and you know, you're not listening to the radio, you're not doing this, you're not listening to CDs, you're not listening to that. You're just sitting there, and you're entertaining God the best way you can. I can't think of a better tender time than that. But you know what? Everybody ought to have that time. Now, David's problem was that he grew up, and he lost that to a degree, but he never really lost it, because truth impacts you. And that's why I'm such a stickler on the truth. Truth will change your life, and truth, what it will do, it'll change you, and it will, everybody says, well, truth, truth will make you free, you know, and truth is a great thing. Well, let me tell you what truth will do for me when I go out. It'll ruin you. Truth will ruin you, because you'll never be able to buy one of the illusions again once you get the truth. You never will. It's like having a real $20 bill and a counterfeit. Once you get the real money and it spends, you'll never want to print the counterfeit again. You know why? Because nobody's going to buy it. And it's the same way with the Word of God in truth. Once you get truth and once truth impacts your life, you're never satisfied with the illusions of life again. You laugh at it. You see it. It'd be, the world becomes a comedy. The world becomes a stage where the news and the people and, the, and all the things around you, you just go away and shake your head and, and laugh because it is absolutely so ridiculous. I have started another collection. I'm collecting now in the obituary column the poems that people put in. I am. I got four or five of them already. I figure in a year's time I'll have enough information and enough stuff to preach a great message on on, on, on dead people and where they go. Because I tell you what, you want, you want something, to, you want entertainment? Just get it to the obituary, man, and read what people write about people who died and where they're at. It is the greatest thing in the world. When you stand by my grave, don't, don't feel bad. Feel the wind? That's me. See the leaves fall? I'm in the leaves. <laughs> 
see the rain fall and bright and green in the grass, I'm in the rain. That dog that just bit you in the calf of your leg, that was me too. I'm mad at you because, I mean, it's incredible. And people write those stuff because it makes them feel good. But that isn't truth. You know what the truth is? The truth is just like loving God or hating Him. The truth is heaven or hell. You see how clean God is? You know what I like about God? You know what I like about the Word of God? There's no middle ground with it. I don't have to wonder where I'm at. You know why some of God's people wonder where they're at with God today? Because they want to wonder. They're wondering because they're wandering. I don't have to wonder. I know exactly where I'm at once you have the truth. And when you don't have the truth or you don't believe the truth, then you get into the illusion. Well, yes, Brother Bob, I'm, I'm saved, but you know, I, I'm, just, I, I'm just not a very good Christian. I'm not really... I'm not really I mean, I really love God, I really do, you know, and I really believe in God, and I know that He's the man upstairs, you know, and I really believe in God and all that stuff, but I just don't do, I just don't, you know, do what I'm supposed to do. No, no, it doesn't work that way. Jesus said, you're with me or you're against me. All the way back in the beginning of Genesis, it started. You know what it says? It says, there was light and there was darkness, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. God is so simple. Truth is so simple. Truth makes you one way or the other. There's no, there's no middle ground with it. There's no middle ground with it. I mean, I mean, he says, How hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? You know what happens when you don't have truth that guides you in your church? You turn into a little government. You do. When you forsake truth, you turn into a government. Do you ever notice that's what happened to Israel? You know what God wanted for Israel? God wanted a theocracy for Israel. You know what a theocracy is? I don't know what it is, but I hear that word a lot. I really like to use it. No, a theocracy is God's in charge. God is king. He's president, vice president, secretary of defense, secretary of navy, secretary of the army, secretary of the Marine Corps. He's everything. When God made the nation of Israel, He wanted to be their God and a theocracy that He was their king. And He says, I'll give you a king that will relate directly to me, that that king will be just like me, that this thing will never get political. Now, that's what God wanted. You know what the nation of Israel wanted in 1 Samuel chapter 1? They said, we don't want that. We want to be like all the other nations. We want a king. We, don't, we love you. Oh, we're going to make the sacrifices. Oh, and we're going, to, we're going to keep the law. But the bottom line is, we don't want you as king, God. We want to be like all the other nations. You know what? That's what God's people say today. Oh, I love you, God. Oh, yeah, you're great. But I don't want you king of my life. I want to be like all the other people in the world. So you know what that happens? The, the church then brings all the world into the. It, it, it brings all the world in. You see it in their music. You see it in their preaching. You see it in their lifestyles. You see it in the things that they enjoy doing. And you see that in this whole big thing called an illusion, we think that it's still biblical Christianity when the Bible and God walked out the door a long time ago. Now the nation of Israel, God says to them, "I want to be your king." And I'm going to give you a king after my own heart that will be the greatest king you ever had. And him and me are just like that. And as long as he's king, 
you're not going to have any internal strife whatsoever. And you know what? When David was king, there wasn't. He, David fought. David wasn't allowed to build the temple because David had to subdue all the rest of the nations out there and he had to go to war and he had to go fight. But you know what? He won every victory. You know why? Because God, God was his secretary of defense. God was his, his everything. God was king. So the nation of Israel never, never, never lost a battle under David. They never, they were the greatest nation the world has ever seen because they had a theocracy and king. And they had a man that was over that nation that was in direct relationship with God. And as long as that happened, they were politically free. No politics. You study David's life and reign, you don't find one set of politics coming in other than when he gets screwed up a little bit later on after Bathsheba and he has some problem with his own boy Absalom. But the bottom line is, as far as the the whole sphere of the nation, those were personal problems. I'm talking about on a national level. There isn't one mess that he has to deal with politically. He's gone. Solomon comes on. Solomon goes. What happens? The whole thing becomes political. The two, the two boys of Solomon, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and all the Boam boys, they, they split the kingdom. And it becomes political. Now, they're not fighting other nations. You know who they're fighting now? They're fighting the ten northern tribes, time the ten two southern tribes. They're fighting among themselves. What God intended to be a co- cohesive organization to bring the world to see God's glory under a king after God's own heart now is ceasing to get the job done because it has become political. Now, let's erase all that off the board. Put a New Testament light. We don't have a nation today. We have churches. Here I come, coming down your alley. God wants to be king of this church. And God says, I'm going to give you a pastor slash David King after my own heart. And as long as that's the way it is, and a man stays in the book and and operates by the book and understands the book and understands the truth and stands up for what God says, you know what? There'll be no politics. You know when the politics come in? When we don't have the truth anymore. So we got to have something else we sell. We we got to we got to we got to bring in this. We got to bring in that. We got to add this. We got to do here. We got to step out into the world. And when we do that, and and you stop being the king that go, the man that God wanted you to be, and you start going into the political world, your church becomes political. And then you know what? You get a lot of little Jeroboams and Rehoboams running around. Yeah, you do. You get a lot of little Jeroboams and Rehoboams running around, and all they do, then you get the Ahabs and you get the Asas. Hey, go through the list of kings. Do it for me. Do it for me. You know what? When you, when you get to that place, when they, when they split that kingdom in 1 Kings, and then you take the rest of the kings, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, I promise you, look at the kings over Israel, and in your mind, if you've been saved a short period of time, like 20 years or something like that, uh, I promise you, if you just think back, you will remember in your mind, men and women in the churches that you have been in with all the political shenanigans that goes on that mimic those kings. Because human nature is always human nature. And the bottom line is they did it to Israel and the same thing happened in the church when the church lost the truth. When Israel lost the truth, David had one thing going for him that nobody else had. He had the Word of God. 
And when the Word of God went, the politics came in. And in the New Testament church, when the Word of God goes, the politics come in. And when the politics come in, you don't need the Bible anymore because now you're operating under illusion. You know what you got to do now? you got to step into the grandstand of being big and successful and powerful and doing everything that goes on in life. you got to keep up with the Joneses in the Christian world. When there's some guy around the country that, that, that gets 25,000 people coming on Sunday school, let me tell you something, now we're motivated by, motivated by success. Forget the idea of how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is. No, no. We gotta have results because we want to be nationally known as a gigantic work of God. So when so and so over here in California or up here in this place, when he has 25,000 people showing up on Sunday, all the preachers get on the bus, drive out there and find out what he's doing because we want to bring it back. We want to run 25,000 too. Tell me about your programs. What are you doing? What are you doing this? Why are you doing this? How are you having this? It doesn't matter that they're having dancing girls in the aisle. It doesn't matter that they're, they're doing all kinds of stuff that have nothing to do with the Bible. It doesn't matter. Because now, now that you've stepped outside the truth, you've got an image to maintain. And you're gonna, you're gonna maintain that image as hard as you can, as much as you can, and you wanna, with that image, you get lifted up, and you get held up to all the Christian world says, this guy is the greatest pastor and the greatest slash church in the world. And don't you think that, why there's, have you ever wondered why? And I've said this before. Have you ever wondered why a man, you know what it's gonna cost Bush to become president again? It's going to cost him over a hundred million dollars. If he wins, it's going to cost, he's already raised over a, almost a hundred million dollars. He's got another year to go. He's going to probably raise, they're saying, two hundred million dollars. Now that's a lot of Arthur Bryant's barbecue for just having people come and vote for you. Two hundred million dollars. Two hundred, hear me now, two hundred million dollars. He is going to spend $200 million to get a job that only pays $200,000 a year. Now, is there something wrong with me that you're not responding to that? Or, or, or do you think that's okay? A guy, you know what a governor of Missouri pays? It pays $125,000 $125, a year or something like that. The last mayoral guy that won the, won the thing spent over $30 million to get a job that pays $125,000 a year. Now, is there something wrong with that, or is that just me? I mean, is it hot in here, or is that just you? I, I mean, is there something wrong with that? Why? 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 Why would you do that? Why would I spend more money... A lot more money, a hundred times more money than I'm going to make for a job. It's like this. You go to your boss tomorrow, and you say, you know what? I'd really like to have Joe's supervisor job. Well, why would you like to have it? Well, it's more money. I mean, I get paid $12 an hour, and Joe's making $20 an hour. So I figured it out, you know, and $20 an hour, that's, 
man, that's, that's, a, that's, that's just a little shy of $50,000 a year. I'll tell you what, I'd really like to have that job. Well, we'll think about it. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you what I'll do. You let me have that job, I'll give you a million dollars. I'll tell you what. Bring me up 20 bucks, every one of you, and I'll give you a dollar. I'll give you a dollar back. That's fair, isn't it? Now, is there anybody? You're not even considering it. I can see it in your face. You're not even, even thinking about it. You're thinking it's so stupid. It's just as stupid for somebody. But why do they do that? You know why? Because of the power. The power. Power is an incredible thing. Power elevates you. I mean, men want to be looked at. You know why they want to be president? Because when you're president, you are the most honest to goodness. You are the most powerful man in the world. No questions asked. Mess with this country? One call. Push the button. What happened? Cuba is no more. As we speak, gone. Whew. Power. Power. Oh, what? Who? Japan? Two of them. Three days apart. Let them have it. Two bombs. Boom. Gone. Power. I mean, you're the most powerful man. And after you're done, and you're no more president, everybody wants the past most powerful man in the world to come and talk to them and just touch him. I just want to be next to the most powerful man in the world. I, I just want everybody likes that. Now you think preachers don't have the same problem? I promise you they do. Where the President of the United States picks up a phone and drops atom bombs on countries and obliterates them, big time preachers pick up the phone and have their henchmen go out and whack somebody that they don't like. Or they say, Yes, we're gonna build a thirty million dollar addition. Click. Yes, we're going to have the the, the 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 dancing girls here on Tuesday. Yes, we're going to have. Yes, we're going and they make this and all the world wonders. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, none of that has anything to do with truth. Truth is black and white. Truth is you either love God or you hate Him. I like the story of Ahab. Jezebel. I think there's such a. I mean, Ahab is a typical big time preacher. He is a typical. He's like Saul. They're both ex sterling examples of the 21st century modern day Baptist preachers. Incredible. They're both the same. They want to have an illusion of loving God, an illusion of doing things, but they're always stepping outside the boundaries to do their own thing because the bottom line is they don't care about truth. They're using God to fulfill their own agenda. But you see, God always sticks a little guy right in your thigh like a thorn. Saul, it was David. For Ahab, it was Micaiah. And it's, it's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. The big guys always blamed when their kingdoms began to crumble, they always blamed the little guy. But the truth of the matter is, they were always the problem. Now, I think Micaiah and, 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 and Ahab. Ahab is the most wicked king Israel ever had, and he is in politics. He's in politically bad with Jezebel. And they're just having a great time running the kingdom and doing everything that they want to do. And they're having a great time. And they've got the whole nation of Israel under their thumb. 
but under their thumb means that the whole nation is crumbling and falling apart. Well, God gave him this little thorn in the flesh called Micaiah. And one day there in 1 Kings chapter 22, if you come down through the story, Ahab says, Is there any prophets left here that can tell me what God wants me to do next? And the guy says, Yes, sir, there's Micaiah. He says, Micaiah, I hate him. Why? Because he says no good thing concerning me. So they call Micaiah. Micaiah comes in. You know what Micaiah says? Favorite verse in the Bible. 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 14. In fact, years and years and years and years ago, when I started to preach, I knew I had to preach the truth. And I knew there was a lot of pressure. So I put it right on the front of my Bible, right there. You know what that is? That's 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 14. Because I want to look at that thing every time before I get up to preach or while I'm preaching. And whenever I'm tempted to compromise or sway or do this or that, I just flip back there and look at that thing. You know what that verse says? Greatest verse in the Bible for a preacher. It says, And Micaiah saith, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. That's Micaiah. You see, for him, there was no issue. It was God's truth. God's truth, and there was no illusion. There is never an illusion when it comes to God's truth. There's only an illusion. There's only confusion when God's truth is gone, and everybody uh, puts it together. And everybody's doing their own thing. Now, let me show you. Let me show you what transpired. I'm going to show you where we're at today, and I'm going to show you by showing you where they're at. Come over to Hosea chapter 4. Now, here it comes. The parallels between the nation of Israel and the body of Christ are incredible. God wanted the same for both. They both had a mission. God gave both of them leaders. God commanded their leaders to stay in the Word of God, to be an example for the people. And as long as the leader preached the truth, stayed in the truth, there would be no politics in any organization, whether it's the New Testament church or the Old Testament nation of Israel. When the leaders departed from the truth, got out of the Word of God, left the Word of God, and brought everything else in, truth went out the window, politics came in. Now, it's not a theocracy anymore. The church is not a theocracy anymore. No, no, no. It's run by a bunch of little Mussolini's and Adolf Hitler's running around to have their own little third world countries in these big mega churches, and they are in charge. And the pastor, he just comes and goes. They allow him to come and go. He comes and goes, and he preaches, and he leaves. He doesn't get into the outside things. He doesn't deal with people's problems. He has people to do that. He doesn't get into the depth of what's going on. Oh, he, he is a figurehead. He is a Zedekiah. He is a man that stands up there that has no power, no authority, and he just, you might as well just put a tape on when he isn't there and play it because that's the same effect. He really ain't in charge. Let me show you how this thing happened. Hosea chapter 4. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood touches blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and every one that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea shall also be taken away. Yet let no man strive nor reprove another, for thy people are as, as they that strive with the priest. Therefore shalt thou fall in the day... And 
and the prophet also shall follow thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. I also will reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forsaken the love of thy God. I will also forget thy children. As they were increased, so they have sinned against me. Therefore, I will change their glory into shame." That's not Old Testament. That is the modern 21st century Bible-believing slash Baptist church in America today. God says, I have a controversy. Do you ever notice who the controversy is with? It's not with the unsaved people. You see, the whole, the whole Christian world wants you to get, wants you to, it's an illusion. The whole Christian world wants you to believe that what is wrong with America and are wrong with the world are the gays. Now, I'm not pro-gay, nor am I pro-lesbian, nor am I pro any of that stuff. But I'm going to tell you right now, that isn't the problem. Baptist preachers think that gays just fell off the turnip truck 30 years ago. They've been around forever. Well, I can take you back in the Old Testament, and I can show you that in certain parts out there, when Israel was in a bad way, they had a house of prostitution up here. They had, if you're like, that was your fancy. They had children in a big building over here that they gave birth to through the religious worship. That that was your fancy. And then they had, for the really broad-minded, open adults, they had animals over here. And you could have all three. One, two, three. Take your pick. It's in your Bible. And it was run by the religious leaders of Israel. The problem has not ever been those people. They've always been around. The problem in America is not the Democrats or the Republicans. They've always been. There's always some political format in this world someplace. The problem is not Ben Laden or Hussein. I don't like either one of them, but that ain't the problem. Quit blaming them for the problem. The problem today is the same problem that Israel had. I've showed you the comparisons. You can't miss it now. The controversy God has here, and let me read it to you. Look at it, verse 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with all the gays. I read it wrong. With all the lesbians, with all the drunkards, with all the crack cookers, with all the, with all the meth labs. With all, no, 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 no. His controversy is with his people... In the land. I mean, you'd think it would be all the sin that we got. You know what? Sin's always been, and sin, sin is on one side, truth is on the other side. Those two have always been going. Don't get in the illusion. It isn't the fact that they've all merged together now. The problem is there is sin, and there is truth, there is right, there is wrong, and you can't put them together, and what this world has done hasn't been put them together. It just got rid of one. Now, you'd think the Christian New Testament church would get rid of sin, wouldn't you? Wrong assumption. They kept the sin, got rid of the truth. You think that Israel, God's chosen people, who God did everything in the world for, much like us, you'd think that when it came to a decision, they would throw out the ungodliness and keep the truth. Uh-uh. They did the same thing we did, or we did the same thing they did. They threw out the truth, kept the ungodliness. Oh, yeah, yeah, just, just read on here. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Why? One, number one, here it comes. Because there is no truth. Well, there was. Moses got it on Mount Sinai. By this time, the whole law is written down. They got the first five books of the Bible. There was truth. 
canal. What happened to it? You know what? In 19, uh, 1920, 1930, Einstein, Albert Einstein, he came up with the idea of theory of relativity. And the theory of relativity very simply stated and boiled down with all the sugar and molasses out of it is simply this. Nothing's absolute in this world. There's no truth. Everything is relative. Everything is In other words, there is no truth. There is no single truth in this universe. Everything is relative upon something else. In other words, what it comes down to is make it up whatever you want because there is no absolute truth. Now, when he came up with that in 1920 and 1930, and he wrote a book on it. When he came up in that he shocked. He shocked the scientific world. And everybody in the scientific world thought, what a great statement that is. He is so right. He is so true. That is the answer we've been looking for, that you can't know nothing for sure. And all the Christians stood up and said, that's heresy. We got a Bible. You know what? 1960, 1970, the Bible college is standing up telling their young college, press, college students, those young preachers out there, people going to study for the ministry, the next five, six, seven, eight generations of God's people. When you shift them off to Bible college, you know what they were told? They were told the same thing that Einstein was said in 1930. It said there's no absolute truth. You can't know anything for sure. That Bible's not absolute. It's general truth. There's no real absolute. You can't know anything for sure. You know what they did? Took the truth out. When the truth goes, second thing, no mercy. Because there is no truth, no mercy. No mercy. Somebody says, I think abortion is just terrible. And I think it's the murdering all those unborn babies. Da, 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 da. By the millions and millions and millions and millions. I'm going to get me. I'm a Christian. I'm going to get me. A, I'm going to go down and I'm going to go down and I'm going to go get. I'm going to go. I'm going to get me a big poster with a, a, a ripped up fetus on it. And I'm going to march around this, this abortion clinic. And we're going to stand there. You know, hell freezes over. Standing for God. We're standing for what's right. You know what? If you'd have just kept the truth, you wouldn't even have to do those kind of things. You know why that's the way it is today? Because when you lose truth, you lose mercy. You know what the Bible is? The Bible's a preservant. It's salt. And it preserves things. And whether a man believes it or not, whether in this world you believe it or not, the very fact that there are men and women standing up, believing this book, preaching this book, laying out this book five times a week, putting the word out all across the country. You know what? Even though 50% of the world is lost and dying and going to hell and don't even believe it, the bottom line is there's a preserving effect in society when you have truth. And the men who are supposed to believe the truth, believe it. A country is never eroded. Listen to me. A country, a society, a church is never eroded and destroyed because of unbelievers. It's always eroded and destroyed because of believers that dump the truth. It's never because of unsaved people. Jesus was the light of the world. He says now that you and I are the light of the world and the Word of God is the preserving salt that preserves society, nations, and countries. And God's going to ask the question, how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? And our society, just like in Israel, there is no truth, there is no mercy, and then the last thing, no knowledge of God. Nobody knows anything about God anymore. 
You say, Bob, 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 I mean, you can't turn on the Christian radio without hearing God over the place. I mean, there's 9,000 guys preaching on, there's 10,000 Christian radios across this country, and they're all preaching. I mean, you got guys preaching all the time. while wow, there's Christian radios that, that play God's songs about singing about God all day long. What are you talking about? I'm saying this. There is no knowledge of God in the land. There's about a gut junk out there going on that has nothing. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. And maybe you can't get a hold of this right now, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. You can talk about God all day long. You can get on your knees. You can pray. You can weep. You can cry. You can do all the things that uh, Christians are supposed to do. And you can shake, wave your hanky and do everything in the world. But the bottom line is, if you don't believe this book is true, you are wasting your time. Because at the judgment seat of Christ, it isn't going to be out how many hankies you went through. It ain't going to be about how many things you did. It ain't going to be about, it's going to be about how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is. It's going to be truth. Now I stand at the judgment seat of Christ. There's a lot I'm going to give an account for. No question about it. There's a lot of things I don't do right. A lot of attitudes I don't have that's right. And I'm sure when I stand there, I mean, uh, I, I'm going to give an account. But I'm going to tell you right now, standing here right now, I'm going to tell you one thing I'm never going to have to give an account for. And it is simply this, not declaring the truth plentifully. There'll be no politics in this church. There'll be none. There'll be none. I'll not be the dictator. I'll just be the instrument that God wants me to use to preach the truth. And when I get up and preach to you, Thursday night Bible study, Sunday morning, in our daily time together in the Word of God, however it works, I got one thing that I can tell you. As the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. I don't know what else to tell you. There won't be any illusions. There won't be any crystal chandeliers. There won't be any dancing girls. There won't be any, there won't be any, 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 it won't be all of that shimmery, shammy stuff that you look like. There won't be any big time. It'll just be the old book. It'll just be preaching the Word of God. And you know what? Very frankly, folks, if that book isn't enough to get the job done, then it's just all close the doors and go home. I mean, it's all get together and pull our money and buy a Kmart. I'm telling you, it's gotta be truth. Verse 6 says, My people, my people, not the unsaved people, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. I also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou art forgotten the law of God. I also forget that show. You know what he's saying? Even though there was a priesthood down there, in effect, he was saying, you're no priest to me. You know what that tells me? Just because there's a lot of guys standing in the pulpit talking about what they think about God and what they want God God says, you ain't no preacher to me. You ain't no preacher unless you got the truth. You hear what it said? You wasn't a priest until you, till you got the truth. You're not a preacher unless you had the truth. You're, you're an illusion. You're something that's out there showing the world that you want to be just like the president. You want, to, you want to be held up as some great spiritual guru in America that people look at your church and say, wow, we do that. We can run 50,000 on Sunday too. We can do all of this. Nobody cares how you get there. It's got to be by the book. You know what he says? I had a conversation with a guy a couple of years ago about a certain couple. And this was a private conversation. I'm just letting you know. We're talking about a certain couple that had been martyred for their faith. And he was going on and talking about what a, what a great thing that was. And I was just being me. I wasn't being mean. I was just being me. I was just 
and he was telling me, you know, we were talking about what he was talking about, how that, you know, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, what a great example for, you know, Christianity that was. And, boy, there was a real Christian, da 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 And I, and I said, I, and I said, I was, you know what? And I, and I knew the situation, so I wasn't just speaking out of turn. I knew where they were trained. I knew what the guy that believed that trained them. I was, had more information than I, 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 I led on to him. And I just simply said this, you know what? Here's the problem. And I hope you're right, but here's the issue. Here's the real tragedy. You know what? There's somebody that goes all of their life and, and gives to God and gives to God and gives to God and gives to God and get to the place where they die. And everybody stands back and thinks what great Christians they were. When the truth of the matter is, I know what those people believed about the Bible. And the whole bottom line is this. You get to the judgment seat of Christ and you go all that length and you lose it all. And he had a hard time with that. He stood back and he looked at me and he says, I don't believe that. He says, I don't believe that. He says, you're going to tell me, <clears throat> you're going to tell me that those people that gave, invested their lives, all their life because they didn't believe the Bible was the Word of God, you're telling me that they're going to lose everything at the judgment seat of Christ? They're going to lose their rewards? And I says, yes. He said, book, chapter, verse. Just like that. I even had dessert yet. I was hoping he was going to pay for the lunch. Now I'm screwed. I'm going to have to do it myself. And I looked right at him and I said, Every man strives for the masteries. But if he doesn't run lawfully, he's not crowned. Now you tell me, big boy, what does running lawfully mean? Does that mean you never drive your car past 55 miles an hour and 55 speed limit? Or does that mean lawfully by the book? I'll tell you, it means lawfully by the book. You know what it means? It means I'm not saying you're going to do what's right all your life. I'm not going to tell you that. And you're going to make some mistakes. But I'm going to tell you this. Get your attitude of heart right now. Right now. That whatever you do the rest of your life, you're doing it because you believe this book is the absolute perfect word of God. And you're doing it because of truth. Not because of an allegiance to a school or anything else. Or some vague concept of God, you know, that I'm going to martyr. But, hey, you know, you know, this martyr thing, we can go too far with that. You know who was the greatest man in history to destroy the Word of God? His name was Origen. Remember Origen in all our studies? You know Origen was martyred for his faith? And he was about as saved as my three labs. In fact, my three labs are probably more saved than he was. Martyrdom means nothing. But see how we, we, we get so sidetracked. We hear somebody sing the most melodious song that just touches our hearts and we sit there and honestly, and this is true, and I'm guilty of this too, but I fight it. You don't fight it. I fight it. I'm stronger than you. You give in. I don't. I, for a minute I do. But then I, I grab myself around the throat and I choke myself down and I'm, I'm more disciplined than you are. You fall for it. Just kidding. You. you hear somebody sing the most unbelievable song you have ever heard in your life. And you sit there and you just close your eyes and you can see the pearly gates opening and you see the clouds and you see the hand of God coming down and patting you on the head and you think to yourself, that was... And you know what you ought to think? Because that person sang that good, that must mean they really are a good Christian. It means absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. I had a guy, one, they, they used to, I used to, I used to have to interview all the people that we hired at the, on the staff and they were looking for a music man. And they said, we want the best music man in the world. We want our music services just to be ecstatic. 
So they bring in three or four guys, and I get there, and they're, okay, Bob, you go and talk to them, and you interview them. You, you find out what we want. And this one kid came in, and he said, I'm talking to him. Just a nice kid, but typical in the mindset. He said, I talked about, I, I, I was talking about song. And I, says, I said, what kind of song do you sing? He said, well, I said, I like, you know, I'm, I'm a mix. I like the old songs. I like the contemporary song. Okay, I can deal with that. I'm not a sticker in the mud. And then he, and then he got, he says, and then he, I, he, he, and I said, well, how, I said, I don't know anything about it. I said, how, how good are you? I mean, how, what's your relationship with God like? And he looks at me and he says, right now as we speak, I have memorized 150 songs about God. And I looked back at him and I said, that's great. You know 150 verses? <laughs> he didn't. Let me tell you something. I believe you had to have a song in your heart. But I believe you had a word in your mouth. I believe having a song in your heart without the word of God in your heart is fruitless. I got a song in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in. But I also got the word of God. I word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. The same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Nothing were made in him. Life, 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 man, life. Right down the line. Do you have it in there? Is it in there? That's the difference. I mean, when you're driving down the road, you know, going to work in the morning, you got 20, 30 minutes, so you listen to... Jesus, I love you. Oh, you're my. I did a hard day's night. I did a well. I know. Well, I was down in New Orleans, and I. Or is it? Oh, I know you're in your car. Twenty-first century. Stoplights. Buildings all around. Other traffic. I I know it's totally different. But are you sitting there in your heart? Like David, out in there in that old plane, stars all over the skies. It's no wonder he said in Psalm 119, the heavens declare the glory of God. He, was just, he wasn't distracted by all of that. And he's just sitting out there with that little harp. And he's just playing it. And he's saying, you know what? I bet this will go like this. And he sings a little song to the Lord. And he says, well, let me sing it. See, there's a verse in, there's a verse there's a verse over there in Deuteronomy that fits in there. And he plays that for a while. And pretty soon it's, he started at 6 and now it's 8. And now it's 9.30. And he's just having the greatest time. And he's looking around. The sheep are just over there saying to each other, well, he's pretty good, you know. And then he's having a great time. And it's a beautiful night. And it's just him and God. Those are the quality times that you build your relationship with God. That's where you find truth. And David did it out there while he was tending the sheep. You can do it in your car on the way to work. You can do it in the shower. You can do it wherever you have your time with just you and God. But you know what the bottom line it is? The question he's going to ask is, how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? I love you. I want you to come. I have made up my mind when we started this church that I would take <clears throat> whatever time I have to take to help my people Find God in a relationship with God. If that means throughout the week we spend time together, for you new people, you know I'm there. If it means, you know, whatever you want to do on Thursday night, our time. But the bottom line is this: I, I'm not, I'm not looking. I am not looking. I'm not, I'm not looking for a, a million dollar a year job. 
I'm not looking to be known nationally as the great. I am just looking for the truth. Because I know this. I know that today, the age we live in, the truth is not popular. So you won't be popular. I won't be popular. But the bottom line is, it's popular with God. Oh, Ahab didn't like Micaiah. Didn't fudge Micaiah a bit. You know what he said? He says, as the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. Truth will always be truth. And it's truth that will separate you. And it never, it never comes to the point where you get the illusion. Well, I, I, I like to know where I'm at with people. I don't like any hidden agendas. And I, I, that's the way I am. And, and you know what? And I get that because that's the way God is. And the one good thing about being a Christian, the way I'm telling you to do it, you always know where you're at with God. You don't have to play the mental games that everybody else plays. You don't have to build a big building with all the facade and all the shiny stuff to give the illusion that God is here. God is in none of that. God is in this book. And when you have the book, you have him. When you don't, you don't have him. Everything else is your illusion. Now, one of these days, the big, the best, the mightiest that we look at today and hear on the radio, talking about all the great things about God, the bottom line is, the one question God's going to ask them is, hey, pal, let me ask you a question. You were down there 30, 40 years. You had a great ministry. You had great church. You had thousands and thousands and millions of people listen to you. I got one question for you. How hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? The Word of God, the book. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for all you do for us. Help us, Father, to be mindful as a church. And I know we're young, and I know that, Lord, <clears throat> we're few in number. And Lord, I know that, uh, <clears throat> Lord, as time goes on, that, Lord, you'll bring those people to us, and it'll grow. And, Lord, it'll, it'll be a thing where, that, Lord, you get the honor and glory. But, God, we, we ask you, we humbly beseech you, Father, never let, never let us depart from the truth. Never let us get sidetracked. Never let, it get, let us get envious of, of anything or anybody else, Lord. Let's always be envious of you. And the only thing that we covet, Father, is to be more like you. Your knowledge, your wisdom, your love, your goodness. We don't want to lust after the things of the world, Lord, but allow us to lust after the things of the Word of God. Allow us to want more every day in our own personal lives to be like you. Allow us to want to love each other more to do what's right more. And Lord, never allow us to have that passive attitude towards sin. Lord, I know we're going to sin. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we lie and deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But Father, I pray that our attitude of heart will always be as such that the Word of God will strike us down when we transgress your law. Never let it be an easy thing for us to sin against God. Lord, we thank you for the men and women in this building today that love your Word and love truth. And Father, we commit to you a time to have truth. A Lord, a time that this church will be built and fastened on this old book. That Lord, that one thing that none of us will ever have to be afraid of with the judgment seat of Christ when asked that question, have we plentifully declared the thing as it is? Because let us preach your word. As old Micaiah said, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for our sake we ask it. Amen.